Good morning, everyone. Welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I will be the host for our presentation this morning. Today is Sunday, June 25th, 2023. Uh, let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, June 23rd. So for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, that number is 20,380. That's 20380. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, that number is 20,381. That's 20381. This morning, the Vision for You presents, are we there yet? <laughs> Our speaker this morning is going to focus on how the work of recovery and the 12 steps continues for a lifetime. And so Katie's going to do a masterful job. She's going to use the text. She's going to share the instructions which guide us in our continued journey, uh, through, really through all of life's um, experiences. And, you know, as I was thinking about uh, our topic this morning, it, it, it occurred to me that as we embark on this practical program of action, right, as we approach each of the 12 steps, we're confronted really with the decision to make it each of the steps. You know, do, do I go forward or, or not? You know, it's not just step three that we make a decision. We certainly do in step three. But I think, I think there's a decision at, at each of the steps and for, for a lifetime. And there's kind of a, in a, a red light, green light proposition at each of the 12 steps. And, you know, in other words, you know, for there to be a decision, there has to be uncertainty. Or, you know, another way to look at it, without uncertainty, there is no decision. Because if, if you think of it in these terms, if there was absolute certainty of a positive outcome for anything, including the steps, you know, then there's no red light, green light contemplation that, you know, that precedes that decision. You know, we, we already know exactly what's going to happen. And the truth is, for me, and maybe for many of you, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I, 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 there, was some, there was some uncertainty there. And as we approach each step, I think about it as, as facing, you know, two doors. There's door number one, and maybe with door number one, the sign on that door reads disease, right? And, and, and we know that door very well. There's the, the tremendous certainty behind, behind the door marked uh, disease. You know, what's behind there? We, we know our alcoholic foods and behaviors are there. Um, deadened emotions, you know, lethargy, we're always tired. Um, there's, for me, self-hatred, self-loathing. There's isolation behind that door. There's fear. And, and there's a daily repetition of all of that, all of that, that stuff, right? It's like a, a groundhog day existence where we're tethered to misery and despair and we can't find our way out. And that becomes our reality. But then there's door number two. And let's suppose that the sign on that door reads recovery. And you, you know what's behind the, uh, that door? Uncertainty. <laughs> there's uncertainty behind that door. You know, do we have the promises in the book? Sure, we, we read those. We talk about those. We certainly have them. But here's the thing. Way before the promises begin to unfold in our lives, we have uncertainties at each step. This, this practical program of spiritual action is not for the timid. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's going to take, 
it's going to take courage. It's going to take trust. It's going to take mindfulness rather than mindlessness. You know, and, and, and it's going to take grit. And as our speaker, as, as Katie's going to address uh, this morning, we, we, we need to be determined. We need to be steadfast for a lifetime. And we're, we're, in fact, in the text, we're reminded of, of these facts throughout the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. But just a couple of examples. In chapter five, entitled How It Works, it tells us, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And, and, and we come to learn that this path is for a lifetime. And, and even in the chapter entitled A Vision for You, our, our namesake of this meeting, chapter 11, it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of the past. Give freely of what you find and join us, right? And it goes on. But the one thing that it doesn't imply, that, that particular passage, abandon yourself to God until, you know, you know until you feel better. Abandon yourself to God through these steps until you reach a healthy weight. Abandon your, yourself to God until you stop growing up or you stop treating people poorly, stepping on their toes and then they step on yours. You know, abandon yourself until, until your relationship with your spouse improves or until, uh, you know, relationship with your children or, or, you know, some crisis is averted. Abandon yourself to God until that happens and then, you know, move on to other things. You know, so... Are we there yet? If there's a fixed destination, I stop once I perceive that I've arrived, and there is no arrival we're going to find with this program. Because a, a lifetime journey has no end. Sure, we get to a recovered state of being if we're following instructions, but this is a lifetime journey, and, um, and, and when, I, when I arrive somewhere, I stop. There's no stopping here. So joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope on this whole notion of a lifetime journey is Katie G. from, from Massachusetts. And Katie, of course, is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous. You'll hear her, you know, sharing on a vision for you. She is devoted to the practice and teaching of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions. And so please join me in welcoming Katie G. to the line this morning. Katie, good morning. Hey, good morning, Larry. You are a beloved member of our community. Thanks so much for that spectacular introduction. I'm ready to hear your special edition. (laughs) um, All right, friends. I'm Katie G. I'm a recovered compulsive eater and anorexic and bulimic, and I need to start with a prayer. I am the place where God shines through. Him and I are one, not two. I need not worry, fret, or plan. He wants me where and as I am. And if I be relaxed and free, he'll carry out his plans through me. And that's really my hope today, right? That that God carries out his plans through me uh, and that I don't show up. Um, A few fun facts. I've been in the rooms for 16 years. I do have a sponsor. She knows She's my sponsor. Um, She also has a sponsor, and I do sponsor women through the book. Um, The title of this special edition is um, from my, well, two sources. One of them is my beautiful little girls who watch the show Cocoa Melon. And if you know Cocoa Melon, they have a song 
it goes, are we there yet? And then the parents go, not yet. So um, I find that really fascinating. And it was paired with, um, I love talking to all of you. And, you know, many times I talk to people and I love talking about step work. So I'll say, oh, where are you in the steps? And, um, and they say they're done. And um, that's just not my experience. Um, it's just not my experience. So today... And I want this talk to be a ticker tape parade for the love and mercy that God has granted me for the miracle. Like, I literally am a miracle. I have pushed God and this body to its limits. And I'm not actually here to share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I'm here to talk about what page 29 says. Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair section, cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. So I'm here to talk about how I got to God, how I have fallen short. Um, I am not perfect. My sponsor had to remind me um, that step 11 is way more than just checking off a box. I need to seek him throughout the day, but I fall short. And as one of my beloved friends says, I have fast spiritual metabolism. So I can take my 30 minutes of quiet time in the morning and then boom, you know, one of my little kids is screaming and I'm not spiritually fit. I need babysitting throughout the day. I need a sponsor. I need fellowship. Most significantly, I need God. One of the things, um, one of the quotes that I also really want to bring to mind is uh, another spiritual teacher taught me this. On page 72 of the AA 12 and 12, and this is uh, in step seven, it was only at the end of a long road marked by successive defeats and humiliations and the final crushing blow of our self-sufficiency, that we began to see, feel humility as something more than a condition of groveling despair. Now, what I find interesting is they're not talking about food, right? They're not saying, okay, I'm getting um, abstinent and then falling off. They're actually talking about character defects, which is what uh, Step 7 is all about. You know, and... Um, Another place I want to kind of bring to light is um, as I've gone through my years, I really got confused between spiritual progress and life progress. So I came into the rooms um, when I was 27. In my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds. And all of this started because I was a little girl, I was age six or four or whatever I start to remember, and I had this hole in my soul <clears throat> right over your heart, you know, and it connects to that belly where you feel those butterflies, and I felt like I should be somebody else doing something else with some other people at some other time. And the ravages of this disease started way before I ate because I ate to fill up that void, to shut up 
that anxiety, that self-hatred, the one that went to the food because I didn't feel like I belonged, the one that starved myself because I wanted to disappear, right? So I came into the rooms and I was a kid. I mean, if you're 27 and you don't feel like you're a kid, you're a kid. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to tell you that, like, the most, like, mature thing I did somehow was graduate from college. And, um, and so, and I was single, and the only people that would tolerate me were my family. And I had a lot that I had never attained because of the ravages of this disease. You know, by the time I was 18, I had hypothalamic amenorrhea. I had osteoporosis, and both of those are conditions that continue to haunt me today. So I had a lot of life progress, and I don't know if you relate to this, but I'm like really driven. You know, if you've known me over the years on Vision for You, I've definitely been very driven in Overeaters Anonymous. And I'm not here today because I'm anyone special. I'm here today because I just want to share some experience, strength, and hope. And if your experience, strength, and hope is different, awesome. But if I can speak to one member, if I can speak to one of you who has had my experience, then thanks be to God. So I really pursued my life progress, right? And I got lost and confused, believing that as my life progressed, so I was dating, I was meeting men, I was thinking about having babies. I thought that that was a sign of spiritual progress. Like I thought God was rewarding me. But what I didn't understand is what spiritual progress means, right? Um, Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. Right? Like, what's the difference between spiritual lines and abstinence lines? Between spiritual lines and lifelines, right? I missed the way I thought that life progress meant success. And what happened is I would get to that repeated humiliation because I would, I got to tell you, like, if you put down the food and you work the steps, you will find that life can go in wonderful ways. Now, life is life. So I'm not going to say like you're guaranteed good stuff, but the truth is when I'm not binging and purging, right, when I'm not exercising two hours a day, God has given me brains to use. And guess what? He's given me brains to do math, to do science, right? Like I can do that. I can, with God's grace, I can date. I can, you know, figure out who I am in an intimate relationship. God gave me a marriage, right? And I thought, but, but like I focused my life on the attainment of external things. And the problem is I never arrive, right? And so what happens, where's the quote? Oh, Bill's story, right? For the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived, right? Like he's talking about it, drunk. I'm talking about abstinent, right? I literally believed that being married having a graduate degree, getting kids. Like I thought that that meant that I arrived in the rooms of OA. And by the way, I also was in a thin body. So, you know, that meant I was done with Overeaters Anonymous, ignoring 
ignoring the mandates of this these steps that require that I go deeper and deeper and deeper. Living in 10, 11, and 12 is a um, it's a phrase, right, that I can, I can rattle that off, living in 10, 11, 12, KG, living in 10, 11, 12. But what does that mean? Like, I don't know if you've checked it out recently, but 10, 11, and 12 are big steps. But I, it was hard not to get, get transfixed by exterior things because let's be honest, you know, when I was 30, I discovered I could do math and science. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman who is convinced I'm an idiot. You know what? I can do anatomy. Like, I can understand what the human body does. And not because I'm the smartest, um, smartest cookie in the cookie tin or whatever we put cookies in, but because I can study, right, because I'm not distracted. And those are really exciting things. But here's the problem. My favorite quote, page 100, and I know you guys know this. Both you and the man must walk day by must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. Now again, not abstinence progress, not life progress, spiritual progress. If you proceed, remarkable things will happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like all of a sudden KDG becomes like tolerable for um you know a life like i don't i'm not defined by my participation in overeaters anonymous in fact god suddenly gives me humans to be with like why i don't know follow the dictates of a higher power my highest power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world and i thought that said new and for wonderful world period right and i would call people and i would do my step tens and i'd be like Follow the dictates of God and you presently live in a new and wonderful world. That's what the book promises. It doesn't. It says no matter what your present circumstances, right? Even when I was single, even when I couldn't go to grad school, even when I relapsed, even when I was barren and, and suffered at the hands of miscarriages, right? that day that I had to go into the hospital, that my lung had collapsed. And I needed to call a friend and I needed to say to her, tell me what to do with the food. And then I needed to sit there because the lung was collapsed for a second time and this was last year and have a trauma surgeon talk to me about being underweight and the ravages. Now this is before he put in a chest tube. I don't know if you've had lung issues, but not having a chest tube in your lung when your when your lung has collapsed is not comfortable. And he's explaining to me what my choices are. Um, so I didn't stay grounded in spiritual principles. Now, what does spiritual progress mean? So I looked it up because I'm a word nerd. Spiritual progress takes a person from a selfish, yes, egocentric, yes, competitive, yes, materialistic, yes, individual, right? Like we're living in a material world and I'm a material girl where the self is, now listen to this, where the self is less important and the whole 
and where I don't think I wrote this right. The whole the principles of unity supersedes individual striving and goals. The universal worldview is the hallmark of spiritual maturity, right? So I keep getting messed up thinking that the more I progressed in my life, the better. But but nowhere in my book does it tell me that I'm done. Um, and again, so, you know, again, I want to, so I kind of want to run by. So I, I got into grad school. I got through grad school. Um, I started working. And at every step of the way, what would happen is I would, like, get the thing that I wanted. And the problem would happen that, like, the, um, the integrity of my disciplined program started to erode. So what did that mean? And then in grad school, you know, and that was when Vision for You was starting, it meant in grad school that I thought that taking quiet time with God was equated to a yoga class. And I thought that um, doing service was only sharing on Vision for You, right? And I missed that God is actually the most important thing in my life. He needs to be the centerpiece of my life. In fact, each person in their own stories and in their own manner talks about the way they have established a relationship with God and how their life has changed. That's what our big book talks about, right? But I, I, I just got pulled away. I let the gifts of the program take away the gift of program away because I was a graduate degree, don't you know? Right, and then I got me, and I and I did have a relapse with flour and sugar during that time, right? And then I got married, and man, did I want to have kids. And one of the um, consequences of being 228 pounds and being an exercise bulimic is that your body fails to know how to have a baby, right? Because in the caveman times, if I were living there and I were underweight, I'm not supposed to generate more mouths to feed. So my body shut down to to make babies by age 18. So I had to go through a lot to get pregnant. And for some reason, God chose me to be a mom. I don't know why, like every day I don't know why, but he blessed me. And um, and it was a lot of work. And if you knew me during this time, it gutted me. And you know what I'm talking about. If you're on this line, like it's the life circumstances that you're like, I have this God desire. It is in my DNA. I want to be a mom. And people would say to me, give up, stop wanting it. And that may be true for them, but it was not true for me. Because every day I had to choose to be a mom because of the life circumstances that require a girl like me to get pregnant. And I did. I sought that IVF treatment like the dying. And I brought God in. I really did to the best of my ability. But I got agnostic, and oh, I know what I wanted to share. So I get spiritually agnostic, so check this out. So I'm like living in recovery, right? But I get spiritually agnostic, and what does that mean? So agnostic means without knowledge. And I know you're saying dahiki, but like, so agnostic means agno- um, agnostic means agnostic, without knowledge, right? 
But then moving through the steps, I come into consciousness. And what does consciousness mean? It means with knowledge. Isn't that remarkable? Right? So by the time we get to step 10 and step 11, right, my thought life is placed in God consciousness, God knowledge. And the problem is I kept, because of these life circumstances, I would be pulled back into brownouts where, you know, I got the kids. And I'm going to tell you specifically about my most recent brownout because it was ugly. So it was after my second child. And um, if you remember me, I was on the line. And I was terrified. Like, that's really what I can say. I was a love me holic, right? Like I just wanted everyone on this line to love me because I felt so empty after I had children, you know? And an outside issue that I just want to reference is if you've had children, please research, you know, please follow our book, which says, you know, medical treatment is important when you've had children. Um, and I just... Um, I got spiritually agnostic that God was enough for me. And it started several years ago where I was working a recovery program that requires you to get on the scale once a week, that requires phone calls every day, um, you know, weighed and measured food. And and I, I do all that. I don't get on the scale but I do a very disciplined program because I've been in the rooms for 16 years. I mean, let's be honest. I know what works and the tools do work, right? Like making phone calls does work. Why? Because I have a disease of isolation. I have a disease that the book talks about, like my best thinking is to hide in a deserted barn to die. Like, let's be honest, right? Main problem in my head, not in my body, right? Like I have an allergy of the body, and that allergy of the body gets fed when I put that food ingredients and behaviors into my, into my body. When I eat, I get hungry. When my husband eats, he gets satisfied. When I exercise, I'm a marathon runner, right? When my husband exercises, he stops. Um, but for me, like, I just, I, um, it wasn't required that I take quiet time. And I am telling you, as much as I'm sitting here in a normal body weight, you know, with my house and and, and my children and all the exterior stuff or external stuff that God has given me, if I do not seek God, he's not, he doesn't barge in. And he helps me and he tries to help me, but I worship idols. And so my body became an idol. And I have to tell you, as a woman with exercise bulimia in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, it was like, don't eat no matter what, no matter what, don't eat. Yeah, baby. No flour, no sugar, what up? <laughs> like, I wish that was not my problem. And thanks be to God for Overeaters Anonymous. Like, I don't know if you checked out their definition of abstinence, but I was not paying attention to it. I really believed that this was no sugar, no flour, anonymous. I really believed that if I didn't, you know, abstain, that if I didn't eat flour and sugar, I was abstinent, right? But there are three parts to abstinence. And I really want us all to hear that. Or I, you know, excuse me, that was really derogatory. I want to hear it. So I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive foods, right? Like we know that, flour and sugar, like I can't handle them for me. 
right? And for me, some other activities around the ingredients. But also compulsive food behaviors. So what the heck does that mean? I, I tell sponsees now just dieting behaviors, like all the stuff, all the fancy mishigash that I do around the food, like biting, licking, and tasting, you know, eating while driving, making muffins into my, you know, with my abstinent food, turning abstinent food into, you know, intimate relationships, you know, making my food a production. How about exercising? How about like being the thinnest girl in the room? How about not caring, you know, that I get on the scale every single day and I have an app on my phone where I track my weight and I check that app every every minute of every day and I look at my, my phone and if I haven't gotten up in the last hour, I run around my house and I'm driven by calories. That's not life, right? That's what I started to love is the numbers and the scale. And I had this idea a couple years ago, you know, it's going to come get you, right? Like God broke in and he said, Katie, this is going to come get you. And I literally looked in the mirror with my Peloton bike right next to me. And I said, I don't care. And I continued. And meanwhile, you could tell that I wasn't spiritually fit. And how did you know? Because when I spoke, I wasn't speaking experience, strength, and hope. I was screaming at you. I was dictating to you what the book meant. I was telling you what your experience, strength, and hope should be. If you called me, I was condescending. And how do I know this? Because so many of you have offered me the grace of telling the truth. And how about my husband? Right? COVID hit. And I was pissed off at him because he, had, he worked from home. And far be it for me to do my job, which is raising our children. And I would harass him for not coming and making lunch, for not making dinner. I was a self-pityaholic. I was like, how could you think that you need to do your job, the job that pays our bills, the job that allows me to be a stay-at-home mom? How could you not do my job? How could you not do the laundry? How could you not care for our kids? How could you be so selfish, right? And then my kids, my little, my little one- and three-year-old, right, they want me, they need me after two hours of exercise and walking the dogs, like, I don't have energy for them. How dare they? Like, this is the kind of person that I was. I was lying. And I have to tell you, every single day now, as a recovered woman, I know that the one thing will guarantee me back to the food, the one thing, you want to know the one thing that will keep me in everlasting ignorance it's what Herbie Spencer says, right? Contempt prior to investigation. Absolutely, but it's lying. It's lying. It's going to come get me. It's going to come get me, right? So that when I break my leg, when I'm put up for a year because of exercise bulimia, right? My God dies. And the minute I start exercising again, I'm dead, right? So lying, like every night on my inventory, it's not on the question, it's not on the 84 to 88, right? It's not on the nightly inventory. Well, yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's where was I dishonest, right? 
But I, I add, where was I dishonest with my sponsor, right? And then it, it's, what does it say? It says like, you know, what do I, what do I have to disclose with another person? Sorry, I'm nervous, and so I'm not remembering the exact. But it says something about what do I have to disclose with another person, right? And I look at that daily, daily, and that's the only thing that keeps me honest. That's the only thing that keeps me off the scale, because I wake up spiritually agnostic. I wake up snot nose messy crying like you want to talk to me at five in the morning be prepared because I wake up in self-pity you know please love me a holic I'm gonna buy things that I don't need with money that I don't have to impress people I don't like to get love from that never lasts right so I'm in this brownout because of my exercise bulimia and I'm going to tell you what it was really hard to come forward and acknowledge that I had been agnostic and that I had broken my abstinence. So what happened is I got really sick. I had a lot of doctors telling me I was too thin, which I loved. Like, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Being too thin in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, it was a hit. I loved my bones. I loved my, I loved my thighs. They were my obsession. I loved them more than my children. And I loved when people told me I was too thin. It was a hit, right? But it never lasted. And so I had lots of doctors telling me I was too sick. And then I talked to this woman, right? And I was like, oh, I'm feeling spiritually agnostic. I just need to go through the steps again because, you know, I'm recovered, but I need, like, a to fine-tune. And she said, I don't sponsor women who are recovered. And I was like, mm, that's not going to work for me because I'm recovered. Lying, lying, liar, liar, pants on fire, still using, you know, addictive food behaviors. The other one that I've used in my life is overeating on abstinent food. Now, that phrase might make sense to you, but it doesn't to me because I am a compulsive overeater. There's no such thing as, as abstinent food. For me, like, I'm either overeating or undereating. So, again, for me, my experience, and I'm sorry if this bothers you, it's my experience only, and your experience is yours, but I have to put the food on the scale. I'm an overeater. I, I can overeat on cabbage. I really can. That's just me. So, anyway, sidebar. So, <clears throat> So then I started to do the steps with another woman because she believed I was recovered. Oh, and like five years ago, one of you said to me when I was exercising bulimically, she had the gall to say, if you don't think you have a problem with exercise, put it down for 30 days. And I was like, you're that crazy. Like, I'm sorry that you're so pathetic that you had to put down exercise for 30 days because my body needs exercise. Right, my body needs exercise. It needs exercise bulimia like a hole in the head, right? And I didn't believe I had to put exercise down. But hey, let's go to the book and talk about right. Like if you're not sure you have a problem with something, like an ingredient or a behavior, try putting it down for 30 days, right? Try and take it and leave it alone. And I knew that my reactivity to that woman, I knew in that place that knows that it knows that it knows, that spiritual knowledge that you have, that consciousness, that knowing of God, where you know what you're doing is not acceptable, that, that what you're doing is idolizing something outside of yourself and it will not last. And so you fight back. I fight back. I fought back at her. Right until it was only by repeated humiliation and the final crushing blow 
of my self-sufficiency. So what happened? My husband told me he was going to divorce me. And I called my beloved friends and I put a 911 into somebody who I literally never talked to, but who I love with my whole heart and soul. And I said, I need to go to a hospital, right? I need, like, where did you go? Because room, because word on the street is when you went to a hospital and you got better. And she said to me, and this will go down in the history of life. She said to me, you don't need to go to a hospital, Katie. <laughs> she said, you need to grow up. Boom. <laughs> if that's not a mic drop, I don't know what it is. Like, let me tell you, I was like, so shocked. And she's somebody that has spiritual permission. She has spiritual consent to tell me anything at any time in any facet of my life because I just know she's a transmitter of God, right? So then I proceeded to call long-term friends of mine, and I just snot-nosed, messy cried. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to grow up. How am I going to grow up? And it was a while, right? And I don't know if you remember, but the, what, what was the hardest was to say I wasn't recovered because I had been wearing abstinence and recovered like a, like a badge. I didn't, re- like, I like to say recovered, like I'm KDG recovered, right? So people knew that I was a recovered, right? And then, um, and then somebody on this line said to me, do you know being recovered is like waiting in line for, um, for like a, at like CVS or something, we're all in different places. But last time I checked, there's no hierarchy. And then somebody else said to me, do you know you can act recovered today? You can, right? Like you can get up in the morning and seek God with all the love in your heart and soul. And it doesn't have to be my God. It gets to be your God. But let me tell you, it, it has to be God. It has to be a power greater than you, whether it's Buddha, Allah, or, or Jesus, or Hashem, or whoever it is. Why? Because my book tells me that my dilemma is lack of power. So if lack of power is my dilemma, I must find God. I must move from a place of agnosticism, which is without knowledge, to consciousness, which is with knowledge. Right? I don't have the brain power to live my life without God, right? Otherwise, I am on this long road marked by successive defeats and humiliations. So back to the story. I don't know if you remembered, but I moved through this process. It took about a month or two to finally go snot and I was messy crying to that woman and say, I am not recovered. Like, I'm, I don't belong. Like, I, I don't understand. And, um, And I remember I gave up all my service positions, which, like, my ego didn't want that. My ego was fighting for her life because I believed that I was on this line and getting value and worth from the fact that I could talk, the fact that I could do service, right? But, like, there is a God that loves me so much that I am perfect, whole, and complete. I am safe, whole, and protected whether I'm doing service or not, whether you like me or not. And I'm not here because because I'm supposed to do service. I'm here because, you know, I'm God's kid, right? And he wants what's best for me. He wants me abstinent. And he does want me recovered. Why? So I can fit myself to be of maximum service. 
So yeah, I still share on the line after going through the steps again. But I pray God every day that I don't share with any any knowledge or any ego or any trying to tell you what to do, but only to remind you of my repeated humiliations and the final crushing blows of my self-sufficiency, right? Because I'm just another schmo on the bus, um, and I can't be a bleeding deacon, right? That bleeding deacon who um, who's on the line and is surely convinced, right? This is in the AA 12 and 12, who constantly connives for re-election to office, who continues to be consumed with self-pity, who is surely convinced that vision for you cannot get along without her, right? I can't do that. I can't do that. And it was that beautiful end of the road where I finally admitted I'm not recovered, that abstinence is way more than just no sugar, no flour, that abstinence means honoring God, that means putting down my ingredients and stop fighting for the right to exercise, to get on the scale, to do any addictive food behaviors, and to grow up. You know, I have to tell you, the people that do the most service on this line are people you don't know. They're the, they're the women and men that you, you don't know. You don't know. I mean, I know that makes you want to know, but you just don't know. You don't know who they are. And I'm like, wow, that is a level of humility. So anyway, so I got recovered, right? And, and I, um, I went through the steps again, and I just had such a transformation. And where did the transformation start? It started because on on step one, it it mandated me. I was mandated. This woman said to me, you are required to take 30 minutes of quiet time a day. And I have to tell you, if that feels like a punishment, talk to your recovered friend. Talk to them. Taking half an hour quiet time is like the most amazing thing. And I have to tell you, our book says, be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. And I can't believe I'm about to get into this, but... You know, there are times that I would shout, I'm spiritual, not religious. But that would be my way of putting down religion. And what I have found through my, through my own practice is that I refuse to see religion because of the ugliness of some of the trees. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm not spiritual. I'm selfish, self-centered, dishonest, and afraid. Right? That's me. And so I have to be quick to see where religious people are right. I, I mean, I seek religion. I seek God with the desperation of a drowning woman. Why? Because it is only God, not any human power, not a sponsor, not my husband, not my children, right? Not that person who told me I needed to grow up. No human power. And I have to tell you, when, when that sponsor told me to take 30 minutes of quiet time a day, I was so lonely. I was so lonely because I had been relying on human powers, on group me, on all these human powers to fill me up and make me feel better, right? But the mantra that I love is where can you find God deep down inside? That's what the book says. Where can you find God deep down inside? When can you find God now, right? Isn't that the best mantra? Like when I'm feeling spiritually disturbed, I say, where can you find him deep down inside? When can you find him now? I also say St. Francis because St. Francis prayer is my solution to everything. So I just want to say like getting what I want has never made me happy. And if you think getting what you want makes you happy, let me tell you, like when I was little, I really wanted a Cabbage Patch doll. 
And that Cabbage Patch doll made me happy for about five minutes. And she is now somewhere in the in the world, in the soil. And I thought she would make me happy the rest of my life. And if getting a grad degree would make me happy, I have to tell you, I'm not even sure what God wants me to do with that graduate degree, right? If getting married would make me happy eternally, it doesn't. Like, you know that I fall short with my husband each and every day. As my sponsor lovingly tells me, I am intolerant and inflexible, right? Like, I have to look at that character defect, and I want to just... I will wrap up, I promise. I want to bring to forth that, like, I feel like the entire program of this ticker tape parade of God rests in steps six and seven. Because six and seven encompass all this work. Once you've gone through the steps, like, I just need to continue cyclically doing the work. And if having children, even as a barren woman, if having children meant that I would have happiness, I died after my second child, a spiritual death. It was the darkest time of my entire life. Having two, you know, lung collapses. I know you're probably rolling your eyes at this point about the lung collapses, but, like, I still can't believe it. You know, having a breast cancer scare, having osteoporosis, having surgical um, sinus surgery. These are, like, I've had, like, mm, 10 surgeries this year, Right has been really hard but i but i have moved from a place of spiritual agnosticism to god consciousness and i do not maintain it every day i am never done with these steps never ever ever and i'm not going to go through steps 10 and 11 but i have to tell you there is a cyclical nature that is so beautiful of 10 and 11 that requires that mandates that i continue to grow and change and understanding and effectiveness Step 10, falling, walking around step. Oops, husband's pissing me off, right? He's not doing what I want. He's, he's exercising too long. He spent too much time in the bathroom. Pause, pray, go to God. Where am I wrong? Help others, right? Step 11, starts at night. Starts at night for me with a written inventory. Where am I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? What could I have done better? Was I kind and loving toward all? Nope. Right? And then it continues to babysit me. When? Upon awakening. Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. That can't be a checkbox. Katie, think about the 24 hours ahead. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment that you need to show up for. Your daughter has a doctor's appointment that you need to show up for. I like to forget these. I like to not remember, you know? And God reminds me when I seek him. And then I got to seek him throughout the day. I got to remember him, thy will, not mine, be done. Your service, not mine, be done. And where is the most important service that I do? In my home, occupation, and affairs, and with you, right? Like step 12 is this beautiful step that I cannot go through because I'm wrapping it up, I promise, Larry Kay, having had a spiritual awakening. So the first requirement is I got to move from agnosticism to consciousness. I got to get that God consciousness. I have to seek him with the with the desperation of a drowning woman. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, not from going to church, although I go to church now and I seek God now with a community of people that blow my mind, right? I tried to carry this message. So this says I don't succeed. Like it doesn't say you have 14 sponsees, 
right, as the result of these steps, you try, Katie, you try, you try, you try, you try. And when you fail, you try, you try, you try. And to practice these principles in all my affairs, my affairs, my husband, my child, things that, it's not, that are not acceptable to do, it is not acceptable to yell. And we get to trudge the road. I used to think it was a trudging the road of happy destiny. I mean, it is of happy destiny. I used to think it was trudging the road to happy destiny, right? Like that I would get to some happy destiny and I would be recovered and ride off into the world of sun, sunshine and flowers. But I don't. I wake up spiritually agnostic, sometimes snot-nosed, messy, crying. Why? Because I'm still a human being. I'm still flawed, but I'm growing. And I just want to wrap with like the one of the biggest miracles in my life. Today at 12 o'clock, I will get in the car with my husband and my children, and I will drive to be with my in-laws. Now, if you remember me, go back and listen to Vision for You. And if you remember me, I will be sharing about how much I despise my in-laws. I thought that they were evil. Now, rem- now remember, my, my, my mother-in-law is four foot eleven. I thought that she was evil and the devil spawn, and her job was to take my, her, my children away from me. As the result of living in 10, living in 11, and living in 12, I adore her like the mother I never had, and I can't wait to spend a whole week with her. Now, will she make me mad? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm going to be calling you with my step 10 and 11. You know, I'm going to call you when I'm disturbed. I'm going to talk to my sponsor. She's going to remind me that I'm spiritually agnostic and that I'm inflexible and intolerant. I just want to conclude with um, my favorite prayer that uh, really wraps it up. God, make me a channel for your peace. Where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is error, where there is doubt, I may bring faith. Where there is despair, I may bring hope. I want you all to have hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. God grant that I may seek. Check this out. God grant that I may seek rather to comfort rather than be comforted. To understand and be understood, to love and be loved. For it is by self-forgetting one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying to self that one awakens to eternal life. My life today must be rooted in putting others' needs above my own. And um, boy, I can't wait to hear from you. And with that, I pass. (laughs) Thanks so much, Katie. You... uh... You can make us laugh even when discussing serious topics, and thank you for uh, the reminder of that promise. Um, we will come to love our mother-in-law. <laughs> so thank you so much for a very relatable and hopeful presentation, a really nice addition to our, to our archive. So we're going to now transition to, um, to our Q&A portion, um, but before we do that, uh, let me give you the share ID for KDG's presentation this morning. That number is 20,383. That's 20383. And I'll repeat it again later. But let's transition to Q&A for Katie. Um, so if you have a question 
for Katie. Questions only, please. Um, just press star, excuse me, uh, yeah, star one to unmute. Let me know. You Give me your name. Leon B. Loretta A. Leon C. in New York. Was that C? Sarah L. Sarah? Sue L. Sue L. Larry, did you Here's hear what? Loretta H.? I did. Let me tell you who I heard so far, and then if you uh, tried to get in, you can come in later. So I heard Leon, I heard Pete, I heard Loretta, Susan, I think, Sarah, and then Sue L. I don't know if Susan and Sue L was the same person. I'm not sure. Who else did I leave off? One of the Susans was Susan C., so there may have been two. Thanks. Okay, yeah, Susan C., and then there was a Sue L. Is there anybody else in this first go-around? We have Katie till noon. No, we don't. <laughs> okay, let's get started with Leon with questions, followed by Pete. Leon, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Um, thank you for your service. Um, Katie G, as always, I mean, I don't know what to ask you. <laughs> um, your level of surrender every time you do one of these is quite obvious. And your level of um, humility is always there um and i had a question about the whole exercise thing because i was one that damaged my body through half marathons triathlons 10ks 5ks and now when i try to work out if it's not going 100 i don't want to work out at all so i'm like a, either 100 or a zero so if you can comment on what are you doing today so that you don't go overboard do you go at a 50 or are you feeling your mind going at 100 and more importantly I know you've shared it throughout, but was there is there are there moments that keep taking you down to to a point of surrender and humility? I just hear I am nothing without your higher power. Um, was there a particular issue, or has it just been time after time of experience? And I pass it. Thank you for your service. Hey, friend. Oh, I love hearing Leon B. Thanks for that question. I want to know, where were you on Friday and were you listening to my step 10? <laughs> so on Friday, like I suffer that same all or nothing. Like I either want to be running marathons or I want to be sitting on my couch. And it is a lot of work for me to learn to weigh and measure and to be a nobody. And I don't mean I'm a nobody like in a negative sense, Leon, but like to be a nobody with moving my body. And my husband said the most spectacular thing, you know, we're older parents, we're old. And uh, I have a five-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, and they are that crazy with their moving. And he said, you know, we have to work out because if we don't, like, um, we can't keep up with our kids. So there's been a shift for me, Leon, and the shift is that today I move my body because I love it. And because I want to be strong and I don't want to fall when I'm 80 years old and break my bones, which mandates that I, I carry extra weight. My doctor defined my weight. Um, I do not, um, a sponsor with exercise bulimia defined my um, plan of exercise as I am, I need to take two days off every day. I can't go to the gym. I can't do hardcore training more than five days a week and I can't do hit like every day like that would be crazy like a lot of my days are walking and then honestly I get a lot of coaching from my dietitian 
And from my sponsor to like remember to do weight training, which I don't find sexy. Like I would rather do cardio, but like I'm old, Leon. <laughs> like I can't do cardio all the time. I just can't. And so it means listening to my body. It means giving up the idea that the people on Peloton are my friends and hiding in my basement. So I have to tell you, it's like this ongoing thing where I was snotting with messy crying with a bestie of mine because God told me in the morning, you're not going to exercise. You're going to pack up for this trip. And I was like, how am I going to pack up for the trip if I can't exercise? And I just surrendered, you know? And then, yeah, there have been so many times that God has broken in. I mean, I think one of the times was with my lung. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like lungs are really important and it was terrifying. It was so terrifying to have my lung collapse twice. And it was terrifying to be, um, to be, um, you know, a potential candidate for breast cancer. It was terrifying. Um, and, and God just keeps showing up and he shows up in these small ways, right? Like I'm learning how to play with my kids, which I hate doing. I'm learning how to put makeup on and to be a beautiful woman. Like, not that I'm like a model. I don't mean that, but like, I get lazy. Like, I don't want to put on makeup. I don't want, but God gave me, you know, a husband and he made me a woman and I, I want to be that person. So I don't know, Leon, I feel like he just keeps showing up. Or how about that woman that said to me, you don't have to go to hospital, you have to grow up. Like just miracles. And, and they're miracles through all of you, through your shares. Like one of the most amazing tools I ever used was um, taking notes on Vision for You. I can't tell you, if you want a miracle, listen to Vision for You and forget all the old ideas and agitation you have against everybody sharing, Right. And write down what we say because it is God. So I don't know if that's helpful, and I would be happy to talk to you about exercise. There's actually um, the national whatever, whatever put out guidelines and questions to answer if you have exercise bulimia. So if anyone is struggling, I'm happy to to send that to you and, and help you talk about it because it is so prevalent. And with that, I pass. Thanks for the question, Leon. Okay, next up we have Pete, uh, followed by Loretta. Pete, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. I appreciate it, and uh, uh, thank you so much for the uh, the presentation. It had uh, depth and weight, and I really always appreciate your com- contribution. And um, so my question is, can you talk about uh, uh, an experience that you had where you faced selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, or fear, and you reacted sanely and normally, and talk a little bit about what sanely and normally means to you. Hey, Pete. I'm so grateful to hear from you. Um, it's such a good question. Yeah, I mean, recently it's been happening to me. Um, so yesterday, and this is not going to sound like a big deal, but yesterday, what did husband say? I don't know. I don't even remember, but let's just be honest. He made me mad. He was probably breathing. And um, and my first thought was, stop it. And I even said it. And then I said, oh, my goodness. I said to him, I shouldn't have gotten heated. And that was it. You know what I mean? And then my daughter said to me this morning, my older daughter, um, she's five, and she pooped in her pants. And then the other day she bit her sister and I'm dealing with a lot of like feelings around that because I'm terrified about my children being failures because I have a huge ego 
And I'm like, how could they be failures? Because that means I'm a failure, right? So my selfishness is like, I want my kids to be perfect. I don't want them to be problems. And I, um, I want them to um, fill me up and show me off. And my self-seeking is I get pissy, I judge, I character assassinate. But here's what happened, Pete. I just said, I love you. When my daughter bit her sister, I looked her in the eye and I said, nothing and no one can separate you from the light and love of God and nothing you ever do will make me not love you. And I have to be honest, that did not come from me. That came from God. Or how about the day that I was on the line like a year and a half ago and I went to say recovered because I'm selfish and I want you all to love me and I think that's the only way. And I said, oh my gosh, I didn't say recovered, I'm not recovered. Like that was God speaking for me. So great question. Um, I'm a huge ego and I, God works with me daily. Thanks, I hope that is answering your question. Thanks, Pete. Okay, Loretta, you're up, followed by Susan. Loretta, good morning. Thank you, Larry, and thank you, Katie, for your experience, strength, and hope. You read H. My question is, because I identify so in with anorexia, I covet, and I still do, but God has prevented me from using that defensive character for um, a long time, and I'm grateful for that. But do you have any, because it does happen in times of stress, because it used to help me survive, whether it was with my job or my family or whatever, that you have an action of spiritual energy that you automatically go to when that happens, because I will admit it still happens even after 23 years with me. And I just want to get some actions that are on my um, plate so that I can use yours as well as mine. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Loretta. I really appreciate your honesty. Um, it's really remarkable. So for me, that can't happen. It, it happens in my mind, but it can't happen in actuality. So I don't know that you're saying this, but I'm going to answer what's true for me. So I have a doctor-defined weight. I don't have a Katie-defined weight. If, if, if I had a Katie-defined weight, I would not be the weight I'm at and because my disease would just keep going under. And I can't be, afford to make decisions about my body weight. Main problem in my mind, I just don't. I don't. My doctor has told me what my weight should be. My dietitian has told me what to eat and how frequently, minus my um, you know, alcoholic foods and behaviors. And she... Um, she supports and helps me come up with an exercise plan. So I think um, for me, what I'm hearing you say is like what happens with the desire to want to be thin? So like in actuality, my abstinence, if I don't complete a meal, that is a break in abstinence. If I start losing weight, that is an issue. Like it is an issue that comes to light because something is wrong. I got down to 117 pounds. That is not an abstinent weight for me. That is a huge sign that something is spiritually off, right? And for me, it was exercise bulimia. But again, if I don't eat my food, I am not abstinent. 
But like when I wake up and I want to be the thinnest girl in the room or I'm struggling with the way my body looks today, that's just a sign that I'm spiritually disconnected. There's actually a really good podcast um, on Sunday Special Edition about um, body. And I have to tell you, the only thing that helps me with being obsessed about being thin is not losing weight and restricting, but helping others. Like literally, as soon as I hear that voice, I say, thank you very much. And I, and I help somebody else because, because narcissism of thinness is my disease. Like worship of that idolatry is my disease. And I can't love my fat thighs in, away from this. Like it is an obsession of the mind that compulsive overeating never gave me. And so I have to be black and white with abstinence and then black and white with step 10. Like do a 10 against my body or exercise or the dietitian or the doctor maintain my body weight, and help others. And um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's what's true for me. Thanks, Loretta. Okay, we've got, boy, we've got the Murderer's Row lineup coming up. We've got Susan, Sarah, and Sue. But Susan, you're up the bat here. Good morning. Okay, Susan ready to bat. Thank you. Um, Katie, thanks for um, always coming to the line with transparency. And I've heard you share in the past um, on the line and today about health issues. And I love the mantra, where do we find God deep down inside? When do we find him now? And I wonder how you bring God in to these um, ever-present health issues that keep cropping up. Um, for me as well, even at a normal, healthy body weight. Thank you. Yeah, that is such a good question because let's be honest, like none of us are getting any younger. Or if you are, call me. Um, And so our bodies are breaking down. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but um, as we get older, we lose our muscle mass. And um, so it's really important to have strong bones, sidebar. Um, how do I bring God in? Like I get up in the morning, like if I have a medical procedure, I get up in the morning and I actually way before I have a medical procedure, I start praying. I, a buddy of mine taught me this and thank you, buddy, um, to pray for the doctors and nurses and the medical assistants and the medical secretaries that God may work in and through them, that they may get everything that they want and need in their life so that when they show up to my body to take care of my body, that they are the most spiritually fit that they can be, that they are satisfied, that they are safe, whole, and protected, right? And then I I, I can't pray for an outcome. What I know is that tragedy happens, but the God of my understanding takes horrible life circumstances and brings me silver linings, right? Like the day I had to have um, a baby removed, like that is horrible. Um, I don't want to sugarcoat it. And if you're going through another horrible event, I don't want to sugarcoat it or pretend I know what your grief is. But what I can tell you is number one, I am so sorry. Number two, food and exercise and being thin is not going to fix it. And number three, that God will. God will show you your silver lining, even if it's not now. And I, number 10, <laughs> um, I don't know why. Like, when I start to ask why, it's because I'm playing God. Like, I literally don't know why. Like, 
I want to know why, as a woman, I have a baby who's totally dependent on me, and my job is to become a little bit pretty entirely inconsequential. Like, what? Last time I checked, that's really hard. <laughs> so I don't know why. But, um, yeah, I'm d- prayer, 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 meditation, tens, prayer, prayer, prayer. And then, you know, when I go to the hospital, I look people in the eye, and I say, you know, um, I say, how are you? And I'm friends with people, right? Like, I'm just kind because I know that people who are um, working hard in hospitals are working hard and they have their own. And I also, frankly, I ask people to pray for me. Like, and many of us do. Like, I have tons of friends that honor me enough to um, ask them, ask me to pray for them, like at whatever time the surgical procedure is. And then I get to text them afterwards. I get to choose a buddy to say, will you be my point person? Like I, I got this text this morning that said to pray for someone. I can't wait to pray for her, right? So um, use us, use us, lean in and use us and pray. Thanks, Susan. Okay, I heard a little birdie tell me that it wasn't Sarah. If there was a Sarah, you'd let me know. But um, I think we have Dara followed by Sue. Dara, good morning. Oh, yay. Thanks, Larry. And thank you so much, Katie G. Um, this is Dara L. I'm recovered in Philadelphia. And, um, I, you know, I just love so much about what you shared. But I'm curious. So I am also an anorexic, bulimic, and an orthorexic, gratefully recovered today. Um, and Katie, I'm wondering like how you find those healthy mirrors and those people who will tell you the truth um, in program, because what I've found is that for some, like part of my disease is a need to abstain from unnecessary abstaining and a need to not practice orthorexia or over-exercising. And I found that um, for me, sometimes my disease could be reinforced in the rooms of OA. And so I'm wondering like how you discern um, what is the voice of God and like how to, you know, really use the rooms for recovery as opposed to to feed the the parts of your disease that are about weight loss, et cetera. Um, And I'll pass. Yeah, thanks, Dara. Um, For some reason, God really gives me the humans that I need. And um, this isn't to offend anybody, but like I got to go with my homies that have anorexia and bulimia and exercise bulimia. I'm not saying that compulsive overeaters can't help me. But I really am given women that um, really tell me the truth and men about like, so for example, when I started working with my current sponsor, she pointed out orthorexia. And if you don't know what that means, orthorexia means eating the same food over and over again and finding safety in that. And I have to be candid and say that that's something I still focus on. Like, am I bringing variety into my diet or am I eating the same things every day thinking that I'm safe because I have a scale or I have a certain type of food. So I can't, I can't let that be okay. And God has really given me um, the people there. And then also with exercise bulimia, um, like God sends me truth tellers. Um, And I have to be candid too and say like, if I'm talking to someone and they're really stuck in exercise bulimia, like I have to, I don't know. It's not my job to diagnose them. Right. And, um, I have to go to the people that I consider recovered and ask them, like, what should I do? And they share their experience, strength, and hope around exercise bulimia and around orthorexia. I'll tell you what I can't do. My experience, strength, and hope is I can't, 
I can't go to um, outside issues outside of Overeaters Anonymous. I find that when I surround myself with people who are active um, in focusing on that, I get really sick. What I find is that um, when I focus on the book and the book's instructions and then God love Overeaters Anonymous, um, I get really clearly guided. So it means, you know, going to the people that you hear talking about this. And, you know, who else is a really good source is my dietitian, right? Like my dietitian needs to tell me what to eat and when. My dietitian needs to know how much I weigh and how old I am and the kind of exercise I should be doing and the kind of diversity of foods I can be doing because I'm not an expert and neither is my sponsor, but she can lovingly guide me to my dietitian and say, whoa, it sounds like you need some variety. Let's work on this. Or it sounds like, sounds like you need an exercise plan. Let's do this. Um, and the problem is at the end of the day, if I'm engaged in those behaviors, it doesn't affect anybody. It affects my relationship with God. Right? I, I just can't get to God. So um, I hope that's helpful, my friend. Thanks, Dara. Okay, um, after Susan Studio, we'll um, we'll open it up. We might have time for a couple more questions after that. Sue, good morning. It's your turn with a question. Good morning. Brenda A, New York. Hang on, Brenda. We've got a question. I'll get you down, Brenda, but go ahead and yep. mute. And then we got a question from Sue. Good morning, Sue. Yes, good morning. Thank Okay, sounds like um, someone is unmuted, other than Sue, perhaps. So if we can mute the lines, and then Sue, you might need to unmute again. Go ahead, Sue, and unmute. And we'll, okay, uh, okay, yeah. yes, I'm here now. <laughs> thank okay. you, Larry and Katie. Thank you so much for your powerful share. My question um, I've wanted to ask for a long time, and I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid and ask you. What wisdom do you have to share with someone who really struggles to say that they're recovered out of fear that the disease will say, oh, yeah, you think so? Let me show you what I got. What would you say to someone who struggles to identify as recovered out of fear of this disease that may have been with that person since adolescence? Thank you. I love it. Yeah, I mean, so many of us are, right? Like, at least those of us who've, who've suffered at the hands of shame, and which means should have already mastered everything, and the horror of, of relapse, and then coming back, and all that. Um, I, I think I have to say it's accurate information and love. Because um, one of our people that used to come here, she taught me exactly what recovered means. So what she means, what we mean is that I am recovered today by God's loving grace, or as our friend likes to say, by his mercy, right? I'm recovered today, but only today. And that means that while I am a compulsive eater, and I do purposely say a compulsive eater unless I'm on our Vision for You meeting, so I shouldn't say that, um, which asks me to say overeater, but I don't say anorexic and bulimic. I talk about it in my share because we're asked not to as, because it differentiates us. Sidebar, sorry. Um, but the book doesn't promise me that recovered means that I'm anything other than for today, I'm, I, I am a compulsive eater, but I do not suffer today from compulsive overeating. Today, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And I want to challenge all of us. 
if I'm not saying recovered, maybe I'm doing the newcomer and the relapser a disservice, right? Because my job is to carry a message of hope, to offer those who are in relapse and those who are new a beacon of hope. Like I'm a miracle. I do not suffer from compulsive eating today, but I will always be a compulsive eater. You know, I don't want to die from compulsive eating, but I will die with compulsive eating, right? And I hope you hear that distinction. So if I have been through the steps and I have had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps and I'm trying to carry the message and I am practicing these principles, let's, let's be recovered, right, for these 24 hours and you can qualify that. And we can educate. Why? Because our beautiful big book, it says this is the story. And I don't mean to be a thumper here, right? But like if we're going to study the big book and we're going to be carriers of this beautiful message, not my message, but this beautiful message, let's be conscious of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. That is the story. That is the story. The story is how many thousands of men and women who have recovered. Our story should be a ticker tape parade from God, where God is the hero of our story. And we get to say, I am a compulsive overeater, but today, homie, I don't suffer from compulsive overeating. So come here. Let's talk. Let's get to know you. Let's figure out where you're at. Let's sit down with a book. Let's get you recovered. That's my answer. I hope that's helpful. Thanks, Sue. And I, I heard Brenda show the question. Maybe maybe Thank one you. or two others. You bet. Who, who else um, has a question for Katie? Judith does. Jessica R. In Baltimore. Lynn okay, S. let's stop there. Yeah, let's stop there. Judith Alicia Yeah, we're going to see because we only have we only paid Katie up to the top of the hour here, so. We're going to, um, <laughs> we'll go with Brenda, Judith, and Rivka, and then we'll see where we're at, okay? So, Brenda, what, what question do you have? Uh, good morning, and thank you, thank you, thank you all for your service. Uh, my question is as follows, Katie. How, how, how did understanding that what other people think of us is none of our business how did that come to be? That is my greatest struggle. I am recovered today. That's all I yeah, have. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I know. I'm a please love me aholic. What is wrong? And I just have to go back to my favorite quote, Miss Brenda. It is only by at the it was only at the end of a long road marked by successive defeats and humiliations and the final crushing blow of our self sufficiency that we began to feel humility. Right. And so what's happened to me is life has taught me like people don't like me. I, I'm sure there are people on this line right now that are not too happy with me. Right. But as I fill up with God, as I get right with God, your opinion of me doesn't matter. Right. Do I want to be a man pleaser or do I want to be a God pleaser? Right. Like I need to treat everyone with tolerance, patience, kindliness and love. But whether that brings you joy when you hear my voice, it's none of my business. Because mm -hmm. you know what? Even if I do all the things that I think you need me to do so that you'll love me, which some of us call as a man pleaser and I ch a people pleaser, and I challenge you to ask yourself, who are you pleasing? 
right? Like I want to, at the end of the day, even if I do all the things that Hubs wants me to do, he may still not like me. But if I'm pleasing God, it doesn't matter. And remember, pleasing God means a pretty freaking rigorous moral code. So do I want to be a man pleaser or a God pleaser? Do your tens. Right? And find out where that wound is and ask God to heal it. God, this is where I'm broken. This is where you get me each and every time. I hope that's helpful. Thanks, Brenda. Okay, Judith, your turn, followed by Rivka. Good morning. Hi, uh, Larry. Thank you so much. And Katie, uh, appreciate so much your share. This is Judith S.P. in Maryland. Um one of the biggest defects I have, which is just coming to light in its strength and power, is impulsivity. And I need to be able to separate impulsivity from inspiration of a higher level. Um, there's also a saying that says, be careful what you ask for, because you might just get it. So in different ways, I have gotten a whole lot of things a home, a husband, kids, grandkids, blah, blah, blah. And then I get them, and then I want to run away from them. This is too much. I can't handle all this. And then I want something else. So how do you accept, I heard you say, I wanted a husband, I have him, he might have wanted to divorce me. I wanted kids. Really? I have to pay attention to them? So that sense of separation of impulsivity quietly connecting for inspiration and with that i pass thank you thanks judith love hearing you love hearing all of you today um you know it starts with that 30 minutes of quiet time right because when i'm making impulsive decisions it's because i'm not listening to god and here's what god sounds like ready go to your husband and tell him you love him Here's what Katie sounds like. That's not how God talks. That's not how God talks. And remember, so one of the things that I was, I'm was, i fascinated by that I didn't get to share on because I'd already shared, shocker, was that um, step 11 talks about, or maybe it's 10, how we watch for excitement, fear, envy, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. And I used to think that that was lame, that people who didn't want to be excited were lame. What I know today is I really can't afford to get, like, manically excited. It just it, it doesn't work. That's not where God can reach me. And the final thing, you know, Judith, I have to look at the lies I tell myself. I want marriage to be easy. And if it's not, I'm like, go screw. I want my children to be easy. And if it's not, I don't like it, right? But it's a spiritual axiom, Judith, that you know as well as I do that when I'm disturbed, it's about me. So I hate to be a broken record, but it's about the steps. It's about step seven. It's about asking God to remove my selfishness and asking God to remove my expectations. Like, who am I to say that a five-year-old and a three-year-old are supposed to be easy? And how selfish of me, right? So it's about continuing to do the work and looking at the lies I'm telling myself and looking at the fears actively. I have got to actively be in 10 
Ask God to remove it. I have got to actively, like my step 11, my sponsor showed me the coolest thing. Like step 11 is a, is a, it's a summary of what my character defects were for the day. And can I see a theme? And then in the morning, bring that into prayer and meditation. God, this is where I fell short yesterday. Can you help me today? Right? So 10, 11, man, 10, 11, 6 and 7, 1 through 9. That's what I got. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, okay, so before we go to Rivka with our last question, if you just know, if you have a question for Katie, we're gonna we're gonna ask her for her contact information at the end of the recorded hour, and just just plaster her with phone calls all day long as she spends <laughs> time with her in-laws. She will love it. <laughs> but anyways, so with that, Rivka, with our final question. Good morning, Rivka. Hi, uh, it's Rivka, Iron Baltimore Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you so much, Katie. That was so, so powerful. So my, my question is around spiritual awakening. Like if, if I wake up every morning a spiritual agnostic, is spiritual awakening like a constant throughout the day, or did you have like a watershed moment of a spiritual awakening where you deeply shifted on a more permanent basis? I would say yes. Um, so what I mean by that is I've, ne- I've actually never had a burning bush, which is, a, as I understand it, I think is a spiritual experience, but I may be wrong. We can go to the back of the book when the special edition is over. So I've never had a burning bush, um, but I do wake up spiritually agnostic and I do the work. So what's the work? I follow 11, right? Let me think about the 24 hours a day. Let me think about my plans. Let me think about, which means to pray, like ask God. Like this morning, I asked him in my morning meditation how I can be helpful for the man who's still sick. How can I practice patience, love, tolerance, and kindness? Like I have this um, document that's super helpful, happy to pass it along, that um, ta- that collects all the prayers, all the asking, um, so I can remember because I never do. And I would say God gives me little spiritual bumps all the time, but they're not like burning bushes. They're things like you could hear today, like things that I learned that I felt so motivated by, like it's it's light it's not life progress it's spiritual progress or it's not agnosticism that agnosticism means without knowledge and and consciousness means means knowledge and you know a, like writing down notes during vision for you and you know not thinking i'm too cool for school and i can't learn from anybody so like i really pursue god all the time i listen to podcasts and and my mind can be blown um, I share resources with sponsees and my sponsor. They share resources with me. So the way God works is like through people, through the ocean. You know, a lot of times I go walking at the ocean and I can smell God. I can smell that seaweed and I can't doubt, doubt the presence of God. So when I look for God, he keeps waking me up. But it's not, I've never had one of those like out-of-body experiences and you know, it's interesting, too, and then I promise I'll be quiet, Larry, is that um, we don't have to have a burning bush to have God. Like, if you have them, that's great, but it doesn't last. Like, if I say anything today, please know, like, 
like my like my one of my girls says i have a fast spiritual metabolism so even if i have a burning bush like 10 minutes later i'm like well where's the you know where's the ticker tape parade god <laughs> right like it's never good enough but he just keeps bringing me along and i i would challenge all of us instead of gratitude list how about we say you know god's miracle list like where am i seeing god throughout the day how amazing is that? Like if you sit down, if I sit down every day, I can write out five places I saw God. The more I focus on God, like my thought life, think about that. It says my thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when my thinking is cleared of wrong motives. So my thoughts have life. So if I'm looking for God, he's right there. God does not make too harsh terms with those who honestly seek. It is open, we think, the realm of the spirit is open, we think, to all men, right? Like, um, it is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who honestly seek. God is like an XXL sweatshirt that you just put on and you're like, you're like knee deep in sweatshirt and you can like do a dance in it because it feels so good. Like God's everywhere. And as one of our beloved members says, you know, I turn to God and he does, he leaps towards me. Right. And if you can't find God, just breathe in. Breathing is God. So sorry. That was like, I just get really excited. <laughs> oh God, wait, I'm not going to apologize for God. I totally take that back. I will not apologize for God. This whole program is about God. With that, I'll shut up. <laughs> Katie, thanks so much for reminding us that, uh, well, at least that God, God, my understanding, has a sense of humor. And we can have some levity even in the midst of the seriousness of, of our disease. So thank you so much for your the, this generosity this morning. And just to let you know as we wrap, um, we're going to, one, let me give you the, once again, the share ID number for KDG's presentation is 20,383. That's 20383. And as soon as I read 164 and we close the way we do and the recording stops, we will ask Katie for her, uh, her contact information. So let's do that. Page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>